So because of time, I need to get into our message today. We've been in this series starting with the launch of our, our building campaign. If you'll remember, we looked at um, God's perfect purpose for our lives. And in that, in his perfect porta, uh, purpose for our lives, sorry, uh, we looked at some, uh, some different aspects of that purpose. And number one, the plan that God uh, doesn't ever start something without the end in mind. God is one who he always has the end in mind. His plans are always complete. We looked at provision. Remember the play off the word provision. We're pro God's vision in our lives. And when we get a heart for his vision, all of a sudden the things that we thought were needs, we realize are no longer needs. That many times he's provided the, the right vision. And with the right vision, he's provided everything around us that we already need. And then today where we pick up the period at the end of the sentence, that God is author and finisher of our faith. He is the period at the end of our sentence. And especially on Father's Day, you know, it'd be very easy for me to just try to, um, to, try to match to whatever the occasion is and come up with a nice, cute sermon for, for uh, the Father's Day to match that. Well, this is very much a Father's Day message because God is our perfect heavenly Father. He is the one who puts the period at the end of our sentence. How many fathers in here would say, would agree with me, that even though you go at it biblically, at raising your children, even though you go at it with faith that you're doing the right thing, we always are, are concerned and worried. Am I doing this right? Am I really um, raising my children right? And there's almost like this nail-biting time. You know, my kids haven't hit the teen years quite yet. Boys turned 11 on Friday, and so they're getting, they're getting closer to that, that, that pre-teen stage. And there's this point where I know that they're getting more and more independent, both in their thinking and, and their doing. And as that independence grows, as it should, there becomes a nail-biting time. Is God, how is this going to end? How is this going to finish? There are some parents where maybe they did everything they can out there, some fathers, but, but they're, they're children. It's, it's not the finish, the things they're seeing or the ending that they want to see for their children. And as I told you, each of these messages that came for each of those points from that initial message come from another minister's message I've borrowed. This one, again, is another Brian Jarrett. We, we went from uh, Steve Furtick, now Brian Jarrett, North Place Church in Sachi, Texas. And um, his message was titled The Alpha and Omega. My title for this message today is Jesus, the period at the end of your sentence. Life can also often feel like a prison sentence when there's no hope. Life can often feel like, like you're, you're living out a sentence of some type. Like you've been destined to only be able to accomplish this in life. Or to only have this job. Or to only be able to, to reach this level in your walk with God. And it can feel like a prison sentence. Before we go any further into that, I want to uh, talk to you theologically for a moment. Don't do this real often. Because I'm aware that while I went to Bible school and theology was all about the study of God's word in depth that when I start talking theologically, I may lose some because that's not what interests most people is to get into the deep dive. They want to just know how does this apply to your life. But it's important for you on this topic to understand theologically the conversation we're having today because in a moment I'm going to apply it practically. And the more you understand the theological conversation here, the deeper the impact is going to make in your life. So in other words, the more you understand the theology behind the message today, the more you'll be able to apply it to your life. So I want to begin in Revelation 21. 
Revelation 21. You guys need to get out those new Bibles. This is, this is a birthday present with the names on it, new, new Bibles. All right, Revelation chapter 21. And I'm going to go all the way to the end of the book, but Revelation 21 verse 5, let me give you the context here. See, the book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John, who we call John the Revelator. He was exiled because he preached the gospel. And then he was persecuted for his faith and then exiled for being a preacher of the gospel to a remote island of Patmos. And while in his old age, somewhere near the age of 90, Jesus appears to him in a vision and shows him some last day things. If you remember, we had a few sermons, I believe, on Wednesday nights where we were talking about the, the visions John had. It wasn't visions, the reality of him being taken into the heavenly place uh, and, and see a glimpse of heaven. And we call that the apocalyptic literature in the book of Revelation. And basically, Jesus dictated to him what we read. So this is really almost as John is just dictating, like, like a secretary would sit there and take notes from the boss and, di and, and dictate the boss dictate to them what they want written. So this is what John is doing. He's dictating what Jesus basically is revealing to him. So this is really the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in Revelation 21.5, Jesus is talking and John is writing. And in Revelation 21, John says, And he who was seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. Thus the excellent selection of songs this morning, Ken. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of waters of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What an awesome Heavenly Father. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers and the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So in verse 6 of Revelation 21, God identifies as the Alpha and the Omega. And the Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet, and the Omega being the end. So in our culture, it would be like Jesus is saying, John, write this down. I'm the A, and I am the Z. In other words, I'm the beginning, and I'm the end. I am the first and the last. The emphasis here in John's writing, or Jesus' dictation, is not on the alphabet, though. He's speaking of reality. God is absolutely the beginning and absolutely the end. Everything that is ultimately originates in Him and everything that it is somehow will have its ultimate ending in Him. The prophet Isaiah says it like this, Isaiah 44, 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last. Beside me there is no God. In other words, since everything comes from God and nothing will outlast God. This is your identifier in your word of God, in your sword. When you're confronted with people say, I believe there's many ways to heaven. I believe there's, there's uh, probably possibly other gods, which Hinduism would be one of a pluralistic type, type belief where God is just one of many gods. This is your answer to that. The word of God says he, there is no other beside him. God has no legitimate competitors. Besides me, there's no God. He has the first word and the last word in history. 
all other attempts to have the final word are going to fail. Again, it reminds me growing up, there's something in my home that maybe I don't do as well as my dad did, but when he said something and it was to follow out and you start to say, but, there's not another word. And you didn't say another word. You, didn't, you don't breathe because that could be a word. You just, you just do. And he ultimately will have time's last word. The pottery has no beginning apart from the potter. And it will only serve the end and the purposes of the potter. The potter makes that pot for his purposes. Not for the pot's purposes, but his. So think about him for a moment being the alpha and the beginning. I don't want to lose you. I know we're having this theological discussion, but please, or at least I'm talking to you, not with you, so not much of a discussion. But I want you to think about this. I know we know the first few verses of the Bible, in the beginning God created. But when, the last, when is the last time you stopped to ponder the depth of what it's really saying? In the beginning God created, or just simply in the beginning God. So you, you get to the beginning and God was already there. Now, now this as a kid and even as I grow up, if you stop and think about it, you just try to stop about think about God never having a beginning. Close your eyes for a minute. Think, try to think about God that there's never a beginning. He never had a beginning. See, see, our minds really, you can open your eyes, your minds really honestly can't fathom that because everything we know, including ourselves, reference point, had a beginning. We have a beginning of our memory. Then we see pictures where our parents show us before that memory. And so then we, we realize there was a beginning before we could even remember. So it's hard for us to get that, our minds wrapped around that and that he had no beginning because he's always been. There's never been a time when he was not. I mean, I mean our human minds, that's why the atheists, they, this, this is so hard for them because they're like, you, you know, no, everything has a beginning. God couldn't have just always, who created God? And, and that age-old question, the chicken before the egg, right? I had a pastor friend on Facebook, he said he ordered, he just put this on Facebook, I ordered a chicken and an egg to see which came first. But that's the truth. It's hard for us to fathom. How can there not be a beginning to everything? The psalmist said in Psalms 90, verses 1 and 2, Lord, through all generations you have been our home. Before the mountains are born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from the beginning to the end, you are God. And he had no beginning. But he is the beginning of all things. He will have no end. But in him, all things have their ending. I don't want that little side note here. This will mess with you a little bit. When you start, if you take this and you start fathoming God have no beginning, and then you start thinking about your daily tasks and what you want to get accomplished for the week and maybe this next year, and all of a sudden the greatness and infinite God just smashes your little world. Because everything that you're pondering for tomorrow, today, later, the fact that you're just ready to get out of this cold building and warm up, Kathy, <laughs> all those things that they're so minute compared to the infinite God. He had no beginning, but he is the beginning of all things, and he will have no end, but in him all things have their ending. He is the first and last, that which was, that which is, and that which is to come. So those who spend enough time meditating on this reality about him will marvel that he is infinite, eternal, and unchanging in his justice, his wisdom, his power, his goodness, and his truth. 
Another thing for us hard to fathom because even in that grandmother that was a saint, even in, in those who we believe to be just almost perfection in God's, uh, God's kingdom, like, like a Billy Graham or someone like this, that no one can compare to the infinite justice, wisdom, power, goodness, and truth of God. But when you pause to think, he didn't develop into this. He didn't take classes. He didn't, take, you know, he didn't go to the latest conference, Christian conference. He didn't grow into this. His justice and wisdom and power and goodness are and have always been eternal reality. We often don't stop to think that he is the basis for all the good things that we see in man when it comes to goodness and when it comes to wisdom and power. That when you see something really great in a Christian brother or a sister or a, or a child that, that, has, that God is the one that they got that from. He is not one single piece of reality. He is not one single piece of reality that you can try to fit into all the other pieces. He is the first and the last. He is the all-encompassing reality. So this passage in Revelation mentions him as the Alpha and the beginning, but the context of this passage and the context of the whole book of Revelation, for that matter, is focusing on Jesus the Omega. It's the end of the, the Bible for the reason. There's a reason that Revelation is the ending of our book because it's focused on Jesus the Omega and as the end of history as we know it. So listen to the passage again and notice how Jesus is the Omega and the ending for everything, uh, every person that has and will ever live. He is the period at the end of our sentence. When you read this passage with that in mind, and for simplicity's sake, every person is divided up into two categories. Because every man, woman, boy, and girl will know Jesus as their omega, their ending. It's just a matter of how they'll know him as their ending. But how you know him as your ending will be determined by how you decide and what you do with Jesus right now. What you do with him right now in your life will determine how you know him as your omega. Listen to the passage again, Revelations 21.5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he, also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water, of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is a second death. I, I can't belabor too many of these points too long that aren't in my notes because I, there's so much we need to cover. I really do. I know the Holy Spirit has planned this but but listen i was even this morning i was thinking about this when you when you know people who who they, they are curious about god they they have this basic belief in him but they want to hang on the outskirts they want to and i'm and listen when i talk about church attendance or, or being above the body it's only because i truly with all my heart and biblically believe that you cannot fully successfully live a triumphant life in christ apart from the body of believers you're not going to grow. You're not learning how to, how to walk together. You're not iron sharpening iron. None of that's happening. You're, you're separate, and it's against totally everything what God had planned in his scripture for you as a believer. 
And listen, people can joke about it. Well, I make it once in a while. Or, well, I, this or this came up. Let me tell you something. I was thinking about this morning, how, how Scripture is so direct that, that narrow is the gate to heaven, that, that so many will say, Lord, Lord, and yet never knew, me, I never knew him. And yet some of the people, it's like either they have this paralyzing fear that they'll never measure up, so they never truly deal with that and get straight down their life, or they've not really accepted it as reality. That there is an eternity either with God or separated from Him. Eternal torment. So we play around with God's precepts. We play around with, with sin and we play around with these things. But, but here's the thing. He will be the omega to the thirsty and omega that is eternal supply of living water. That's the end. So He is the eternal, the end waters. The, the water that ends all thirst. But He will be the omega to the conqueror, the victor, the overcomer. So those of us who are victorious, who run the race and finish the race, he is the omega that meets us at the gates and says, come in, my good and faithful servant. He will be their omega, their eternal inheritance, their eternal reward. On the other hand, here is the scary, petrifying part to me because I have so many people in my life who I can conversate with on a regular basis who are on the outskirts, who are hanging there in the balance, who I know that even though we have small talk, even though they know I'm a pastor and, and they may appreciate that and they ask me to pray for them and pray for this relative and do this and preacher, can you just say a word for them? Can you come bless my house? Can you do this? Can you do that? They're trying to hang on the fringe and let someone else vicariously handle their spiritual affairs but here's the truth on the other hand he will also be the omega in a whole different way to a whole different group of people to those who reject him and his ways in their omega they're in he will be their judge he will be their righteous judgment and will allow them to enter eternity of their choosing which will be an eternal separation from god we can't fathom eternity in torment you think it's bad to have that aching back it's just it goes on for years. You think it's bad to have that sciatica, to have this or that. You think it's bad to have the woes that we have here temporary where we have doctors and medicine that can try to ease the pain and put us in some utopia with some uh, narcotic. You think that's bad and we complain? Imagine never being able to reverse the decision that you made to choose an eternity forever separated from God in a lake of fire burning. See, Theologically speaking, a lot of people believe that it's okay if I die, eventually Satan gets distinguished, right? And, and that will eventually cease to exist, and then the people who love God are with him get to exist forever. No, that's not what the Bible says. Everyone has eternity forever and forever and ever. Some will be in eternity, eternal bliss with God without sin and those effects, and some will have chosen an eternity in hell. God is a never-ending omega for every man. He is a fountain of eternal life or, or a righteous judge. And we need to constantly remind ourselves over and over again that our lives will end in God. That's why God told the children of Israel, teach your children how to write on the back of their hands, write notes, rem remind them of what I've done for them. When you crossed out over the, uh, on dry land, when every time that I've saved you. Why was that? Because their whole existence wasn't just one miracle to the next. There was years and decades sometimes where it seemed like God was silent and their children never experienced firsthand what they had with God. And just like our generation, there's been moves of God like in the early 1900s with the Pentecostal movement where people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit who had no idea what was happening to them. And, and they're going out and being witnesses. And now we have times of drought and, and, and spiritual drought and many times our children aren't learning what that is. 
He is never out of reach for the thirsty, and though he may seem distant for the self-satisfied, he is only as far away as the mention of his name. Even though you are self-satisfied many times and God seems distant, if there is no desire in your heart to change, there will become a moment in your life when he is very real to every man, every woman, every child. He'll be gloriously real to the thirsty and terrifyingly real to the self-absorbed. Deathbed confessions happen because that reality comes eventually. All of a sudden, I played games with my, my temporal life here, and now I realize that everything I've done has stacked up, and I've got to deal with that as I lay in my deathbed, and all of a sudden it's like, yes, I'm not going to deny God any longer. And many of us want to count on that. I can play around and mess around with my life, and then on my deathbed I'll get it straightened out. We're never promised that. The person who goes down in a plane crash that a plane explodes in the air or they're, they're hit without seeing it coming in their car and they slip into eternity. They never have that chance. Life in this world is so serious because, of, because what you make of God here will determine how you meet the Omega in your end. The true understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the Alpha and Omega will shape the choices you make for eternity. That's why I challenge you men today, fathers and otherwise, Men who will be, hopefully be men of God, is don't settle for Satan's best for you, which is God's least. Don't think that I can toy around with these little addictions of whatever they are, that I can just hang on to it because, you know, it's okay with Jesus. I don't have any conviction about it. Maybe you're numb to the Holy Spirit conviction in your life. Maybe you've shut that off because you pushed away so many times. God's saying, quit harming your body. Quit harming your family. Quit leading people to do things that they shouldn't do. Quit being an example of what people shouldn't do when they're following me. And God's telling you to turn, but you pushed away so long and just accepted this is okay, this is my religion, this is my way of believing God's word. Listen, stop looking for a church to okay your habits. Stop going around trying to find a church that you can slip in and feel comfortable because they accept you just for who you are. Look for a church who's gonna, who, who in that church you're going to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and things that you thought were okay that you just let go for so long finally are going to somehow, the Holy Spirit's going to get a hold of you in that time and say, listen, I want more for you. God wants more for you. So what does this mean practically speaking for Jesus to be the Alpha and Omega for my life today? We've talked theologically. Now let's see what practically does it mean right now in this moment. And I want to, I want to bring this to you in a different way. I want to tell you a little series of short stories from my own life where I believe God has revealed to me. And in Brian Jarrett's message, I'm going to share you a little excerpt of what he shared uh, for his example. But I want to share with you a man named Sam Haynes at Walmart who had been given 24 hours to live who wasn't a believer and his family had never been raised in church and no one even knew the name of a pastor or a church. He was given 24 hours to li live and uh, many of you know the story and God stirred me up to get a few people to pray that day and I, I, I sent messages out to five and we got 70. Come to find out some of my leadership even were Pentecostal believers and been praying that God would rise up 
a grassroots effort for his kingdom in that place. They couldn't because of their position, but an associate like me at the bottom level could. And when it came time and God uh, rescued him for a time, he had four months that he got to live. He accepted the Lord, gave his testimony to everybody what was happening. For the first time, someone in their family had known Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And his family knew something had happened miraculous in him. They couldn't put their finger on it. And when he passed away, they had no church, no pastor. They said, hey, that guy, that pastor, and I wasn't a pastor. They said, but that pastor that, that works there, can you have him do the funeral? And over 150 associates with my vice president standing next to me, I preached my first funeral and gave a salvation message. Why'd they call me a pastor? Well, the title didn't matter. What it was is that God had shown through. The Holy Spirit had won. In a situation where I argued about praying for a man who was sick, I didn't even know God chose to be the period at the end of my sentence. They recognized the work of God. They just saw it in a man. Then there was Brian, that big, ugly truck I drive, that diesel. And there's a story behind that because the way I came by that is a, a man who, some of you heard the story, he started coming on Wednesday nights. I met him through doing a church service at a diesel mechanic shop with some other men in the Christian Motorcycle Club. And Brian was so touched by that. Probably six foot seven, I don't know, big square jaw, stained blue hands from diesel mechanicing all his life and would walk in and he was just like this and, and very menacing looking and just had his eyes were just like almost crossed they look right at you if they're making a movie about the scariest truck driver ever lived it would be this guy but god got a hold of his heart and even though he had a choice words of how to express it stand up on wednesday night wednesday night service and please forgive this word but i'm just going to tell you so you get the effect uh, mom close your ears but he'd say I'm not a turd anymore. Jesus got a hold of me and I'm not a turd anymore. And he would say things like that and people would look and be like, but you know what? The power of God was changing his life and he only knew a certain way to express it. And we were good with that because there was a purity about that. And he'd come to me and he'd say, he'd say, you know, I know I need to give up this drinking. I know I need to give up this drinking. And finally I'd say, Brian, I never talk about it. The fact that you're talking about the Holy Spirit is convicting you of it. So don't think you have to do it for me. You're doing it for God. But when he... When he passed, his dad, who admittedly said, I don't even like people. I don't even like people at my church. They had, even though they had a pastor, they had me come to the hospital. He didn't let anybody else in there. And he, he said, you're my pastor for this time. And I walked that family through. And others came to know him because of that. This is not to brag on me because it's not me. You've got to understand in each one of these stories, there is a key component that Jesus was the one who put the period at the end of the sentence. He, he used the lives of those who came to know him to reach other family members. I was simply the vessel. I was the pot that the potter had a purpose for. And without the potter, I have no purpose. There's Cindy Rucker, who my family knows from, from years at Rogers First Assembly where my dad pastored. And then she started coming to New Song. And there's many of her family members who don't grace the doors of the church but have hung on the fringes for decades. And she's been attending uh, where my dad pastored here. And she was struck and ill. And as we began to go to her house, and we'd go and we'd sit there with family who, who don't have a close relationship with a church body, but yet as my sister and others would gather and we sang hymns to her in her passing times, 
God moved on them. And from time to time, some of those families reach out to me and say, I, I need prayer for this. Can you minister to me in this situation? God is the one who put the period on the end of her sentence. My grandma Ranji, who my dad had been a pastor to her. She'd had pastors at her church, but she's had many, she's had many pastors in her life. And in her final days, because of just short times of, of ministering to her over the phone or in person, my family went far more than I did, and they did, they did song service and all, and it just, it just bewildered me that she told my mom that I was her pastor at that time. And God had grown me just enough for a saint like my grandma to be able to minister to someone who knew the word far better than I ever would. We think about Trey's family, which is more recent. Trey kept calling me his pastor and couldn't wait to come to his church and see his new church building. And God led me to that scripture verse I've repeated multiple times. It's become a mantra for me lately. Psalms 37, 5 and 6 in the message version. Open up before God, keep nothing back. He'll do whatever needs to be done. He'll validate your life in the clear light of day and he'll stamp you with approval at high noon. He's a period at the end of my sentence. He is the period at the end of Trey's sentence. And then Brian Jarrett, I'll give you his story. There's an African-American lady who was uh, pastoring in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and it was a largely African-American community. The church he was pastoring was mostly white and had been for decades and it hadn't caught up with the change in culture and demographic. And Brian, Pastor Brian felt like it was uh, God's taking him on a journey to help change that, that that church would be relevant and reaching all people in his area. And God blessed him with this saintly lady named Miss B. They referred to as Miss B. She was a Christian, a hairdresser in the area, and everybody respected her around town. And as he began to share his heart for the church, she came to him and said, this isn't right that our church is like this. Just because you're a young, 25, 26-year-old white boy doesn't mean that you shouldn't be uh, a pastor to everyone here. And she began to take him around town and, and go and say, this is my pastor. This is my pastor. And he said, he, he tells the story and he says God basically gave him credibility in that whole community because of Miss B, because of her faith in Christ that she believed in what God was going on there. And even though he was inexperienced, he was a young pastor, she had faith in him. And her favorite scripture at her death, they, they asked, the family asked him to keep reading this over and over, Psalms 118. And this is what it says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, His faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants and the priests repeat, His faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, His faithful love endures forever. In my distress I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What mere people can do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in principles. Though hostile nations surround me, I destroy them all with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surround and attack me, but I destroy them with all the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. Verse 13, My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. 
Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell the, what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but He did not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it, will, and it is wonderful to see. This is the day of the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We will bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with cords on the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. In Psalms 118, the psalm in what is known as the Hebrew Hallel. I want you to say that word because I want it to resonate with you and I don't want you to forget it. Everybody say the word Hallel. There are six hymns that are written in Psalms. Psalms 113, 114, 115, 116, 117, and 118 and they make up the Hebrew Hallel. The word Hallel in Hebrew simply means praise. But the actual singing of the Hallel is actual singing verbatim Psalms 113 through 118, all six hymns. That makes up the Hallel. It's meant to be sung. And so they've been singing for hundreds of years by thousands of people these hymns. Originally by Jewish worshipers on their way up to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. That was very typical. That was very uh, historical. So they were pilgrims on their way to worship and as they ascended on the hill the way to Jerusalem, they would sing as pilgrims headed to the temple the Hallel, Psalms 113-118. through And they were singing their praise to God. Now I want you to remember this because notice that, that this has happened hundreds of years before Jesus by thousands of people. Historically, we know that. So, so apart from what people may believe of Jesus, if they just want to look at the history and they don't want to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, historically we know that these were sung as the Hallel. And now we're at Jesus' life in the New Testament. And think about this historically. Jesus is at the Last Supper. This is Passover time. Thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem and they've marched up the hill singing the Hallel. And when they sat, they sit down, as Jews would do to observe the Passover during the course of the Passover meal, they would sing a different Hallel. Psalms 113 at one moment. 114 at another, and so on and so on. Psalms 119 would be the benediction of the Passover meal, and they'd walk out and leave. They always ended with Psalms 118. And I want you to watch this. Matthew and Mark both write about the Last Supper, and the way they conclude the context of the Last Supper is what is the framework for our communion. Right as they finish that, Jesus is on the way to the Mount of Olives where he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to begin his Passion Week, his suffering. This is the beginning of Jesus being captured and brutalized and crucified. Now notice this, Matthew 26.30 says, about Jesus and his disciples at the supper, now they sang a hymn 
and went out to the Mount of Olives. When Mark records this, he says the same thing. Mark 14, 26. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Both passages about the Last Supper refer to the fact that Jesus was singing a hymn. The very last thing they did before finishing and leaving to the garden was singing this hymn, which would have been sung during the meal. 1.13, early in the meal. 1.14, and 17, throughout the course of the meal. This was part of the Passover. But the last hymn they would have been singing, when Matthew and Mark says he was singing, they would have been singing verbatim the last psalm of the Hillel 118. The last words that would have come off the lips of Jesus before he walked into the Garden of Gethsemane would have been this. They would have been 118th Psalm, the last hymn of the Hillel. What better place to find comfort and strength when you're going through a time where you think your end is in sight, where you think all things are coming to an end, than to find what Jesus would have sung from his lips as he faced the end. In the hours immediately following the singing of the praise of the Hallel, immediately after the Last Supper, singing Psalm 118 at the Passover meal, Jesus faced the most difficult time of his life. The betrayal of Judas, the apathy of his disciples, the flight and fear from danger of them, Peter's denial, Jesus was flogged, he was beaten, he was insulted. There's a total miscarriage of justice, the torture of crucifixion, the agony of bearing our sin, and the feeling forsaken by his own Father. And yet Psalms 118 shows us that even though Jesus was all-knowing, which means he knew what was coming, he knew the battle that was about, he was about to face, the hell on earth that he was about to go through, and even though that in his omniscience he was still willing to sing the 118th Psalm as the last thing as he concluded the Last Supper. He's still saying these words repeatedly. God is good and his love endures forever. Can you imagine being Jesus, knowing what he's facing? It's even worse to be doing something, going to your death, knowing you're doing it for somebody else's wrongdoing. That alone is crushing to know that your, your life, that you're going to go through this brutal death because of the sin of others. And in Gethsemane, Jesus attempted to gain comfort from his disciples, but they failed him. They couldn't stay awake. But he had just sung. He had just worshipped his father in the face of the greatest tragedy of his life. He had just sung verse 8, which says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. He sang that and experienced it. He had just sung verse 9, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. He had just experienced that. You and I, we have great doctors and medical care providers to do their best. We have wonderful families that surround us and help us through tragedy. We have a wonderful, na uh, wonderful nation, a great military. With all the faults our country has now, we still live in the greatest place on earth. With all its advances and modern sciences, we have all these things around us. Yet in the face of all that, God has to remind, God has to remain our hope and our strength. We need to draw peace and help from each other as best we can, but we need to know that it is a fragile peace. It's a limited peace. That's why I preach all the time. Don't look at me. Don't look at your fellow believers in this church for perfection. You've got to look to Jesus because we're all in the process of being more Christ-like. But if we want a friend that sticks closer to the brother, someone who is going to last throughout eternity, we better anchor our souls to Jesus. 
when Jesus was surrounded by death and difficulty on every side, we look at verse 10, 11, and 12 of Psalm 118. It's talking about enemies and nations rising and death on, it, on every side. He had just read those verses, and yet he's saying in verse 12, the name of the Lord will cut them off. In the midst of his adversity, I could see him at the Last Supper and hear him singing, verse 13, the Lord help me. I can hear him singing, verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. I can hear him singing, verse 14, the Lord's right hand is lifted high. I can hear him singing, verse 17, I will not die but live to declare the works of the Father. I can hear him say in verse 19, I will enter the gates of righteousness. The last words from his lips before he left for Gethsemane, verse 29, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. He was reminding himself that even though uh, he's in his right now, he's in this terrible moment, this present tense moment of life, he was about to enter a battle for his life, literally a tragedy that only can be described as hell, all hell has to offer coming to earth. And even though he was surrounded by difficulty on every side, facing death toe-to-toe, eye-to-eye, there was a peace in his heart. There was, a, there was a peace in his heart because he understood that his father was his beginning and his father was going to be there in his ending. He knew his father was the bookend of his life, the period at the end of his sentence. And while there may be chaos in the middle, if he could hold on to the father's hand in the face of all the chaos, he, would rather, uh, he could weather the storm and overcome because, the father, because of the father, he was the beginning and the end. I want you to see this. I want you to see a, it's not a trick. It's not a gimmick. But we're getting ready to put something on the screen. It's the way God made us. It's reality. Because he is the God who brings order of our chaos. I want you to read something here. The phenomenal power of the human mind. I want you to read for yourself. Go ahead. It's, it's chaos, but you can read it. Go ahead. According to a research at Cambridge University, it doesn't matter in which order the letters in a word are. The only important thing is that, that the first and last letter be at the right place. The rest can be a total mess and you can still read it without a problem. This is because the human mind does not read every letter by itself, but the word as a whole. I want you to hear me. If you understand that he is your beginning and you know that he will be your end, it doesn't matter what kind of chaos is in the present, you're going to make it. If you understand he is the Alpha and the Omega, the resurrection and the life, the first and the last, the A and your Z, it really doesn't matter what kind of chaos is going on right now. If he was your beginning and he was and he's going to be your end and he will, then you can hold on to him in the middle of your chaos. Because nothing can separate, listen to this, nothing can separate you from the love of God. He is the bookend of your life and brings order to your chaos. I believe the capacity to bring order out of chaos is exemplified in the reading of this statement that we just read. It is a gift placed in all of us in his creation. It is a gift from God because it is a reflection of his nature to bring order out of our chaos. Your mind was able to read that because God has stamped your mind to be like his in a sense that when there's chaos, God can bring sense out of it. 
It is his character to bring order out of chaos. He, he did it in creation and he'll do it in your life. There's no denying that what you just read, it's not a trick, it's not an illusion, it's a fact. We assume order even when it's not there. Disorder does not always stress us as long as the first and last seem to be where they're supposed to be. Everything in the middle ultimately comes out all right. It's when things don't start right or when things don't end right that we find ourselves dislodged, distressed, and disoriented. You can strive, you can survive a bad beginning and a good ending. Hear that. You can survive a bad beginning and a good ending better than you can survive a good beginning and a bad ending. We sang, I'm not going back, I'm moving ahead, I'm fr- my past is over. And many of us get hung up on that past, but what the God that created you, the one, if you want to know what it's like to be like Christ, then you need to leave the past behind and realize that that may have been chaos. You may have been abused. You may have been treated poorly. You may have lost family at a young age. You may have had a rough beginning, but with a good ending, you could survive that. But if you had a good beginning and you have a bad ending, you can't survive that. I want you to compare that with the sudden unexpected tragedy that turned a good day into a bad one like the doctor tells you 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 have cancer or an expectant mother knows there's something not right with a baby or your spouse says one day i'm leaving or the phone call that comes to inform you that someone you love something tragic has happened to them i get those questions at those times i have in the short time i've been pastoring and even before i've actually been around quite a bit of tragedy when i think about it Severe stuff that families go through, and that's the question that gets asked is, is how? How can God allow this? Life has a way of throwing curveballs, tragic, unexpected, seemingly unbearable endings. And there are times when my flesh, my carnal mind, my nature cannot grasp or bear the weight of the tragic endings that come. It's the, it's the way of my life and the way of the people I pastor. I know that we're supposed to walk by faith, but honestly, I can preach that, and sometimes it's a lot easier for me to preach it than to live it. But today I'm thankful, and I thank God for Jesus, because when I look at his example, when, I, when his soul was in trouble, in the Gospel of John, he says, now when my soul is in trouble, what shall I say? When I want to know what it's like to be like Christ, then those are the times that matter the most. Church, listen to me. You all are going to be hit. I hate to tell you this. You're going to be hit with some tragedy between now and when your temporal life on this earth ends. You're going to be hit with something that will try to shake your faith. But what you want to know right now and what you can apply to your life is if you want to show what it's like to truly be Christ-like, then this is what you do. You say, it is well with my soul. My God is my provider. He is my healer. He's my redeemer. I know he puts a period at the end of my sentence. Our spirit can rise above the confusion, above the chaos in the middle. And we find solace in a, in a secret place, knowing that while we, the present doesn't seem right, that all the letters are there. They're just all jumbled up. Those are the exact words we hear from folks in those situations when it starts to shake their faith. This just doesn't make sense. It's not fair. It just doesn't seem like God would do this. It's because they've not let him be their alpha and their omega, and especially their omega. Somewhere in the middle of the chaos, the first letter is Alpha and the last letter is Omega. And because the first letter makes sense and the last letter makes sense, all of the mess in the middle is ultimately going to be straightened out. 
So whatever this is in your life, it did not take him by surprise. Fathers, listen, whenever you struggle and you don't know how to be that father, whenever you think, oh no, are they going to turn out right? Did I do the right thing? You need to realize who your omega is. His watchful eye has taken notice of the injustices in your life. He has promised to reward the righteous. He never sleeps. He never stumbles. He's always in control. Let him be your omega. Between the beginning and the end of our life, regardless of the times of confusion and disarray, He's put our life together like a book. And He's chosen by His own grace to make the order out of chaos and peace out of war. We often quote Psalms 23 that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I can't think of too many funerals where I haven't heard that. And, and our minds focus on the shadow. And we focus on death and we overlook the key word in that whole phrase, through. Through is the preposition that, they, that you need to get in your mind. I'm, going to live in the, I'm not going to live in the shadow. I'm not going to live in the death. I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm passing through. You're going through chaos. You're going through adversity. But because He is the beginning and He is the end, you're going through whatever it is in your life. He is the beginning and He is the end. He's bringing order out of your chaos in your life. Receive what God is saying to you today. Listen. Listen to how Paul measured his adversities in Romans 8. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fear for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God as, he, as revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now think about, Paul made a broad sweep. He talked about what was visible and invisible, what was on earth and what was in heaven. He mentioned tribulation, persecution, distress and famine, peril and the sword. And that wasn't enough. He wasn't through. He starts with death, goes through life, rises up to include angels and principalities and powers. Then he comes down to the earth and speaks about things that are present and dips into the future and references things to come. And he goes up for height and down for depth just to make sure he hasn't overlooked anything. He says, nor can any other creature separate us from the love of God. It means no matter what. No matter what, there's nothing created, there's nothing existing Nothing that has existed, nothing that will exist that can separate you from the love of God. It's like the Southern saying, you can't drown with your head that far above water. If God can bring order out of chaos, if He is the bookend of your life, He's the Alpha and the Omega, that which is and is to come, you'll make it. You'll make it. Hear me out. You'll make it. I know somebody's thinking, and it's right to be thinking. It's logical. Pastor, all this exciting talk about victory and conquering and overcoming and all that Jesus is, did you forget that your friend Brian, that your friend Cindy, that Trey, your grandmother, lost their battle with death? Many prayed prayers like Psalms 118.17, I will not die, but I will live to declare the works of the Lord. But they died. Let me say this to you, friend, about any child of God that has fallen asleep in death, whether by cancer or anything else, they've lost nothing. You see, we have this idea that we are in the land of the living, moving to the land of the dead. We've got it backwards. We're in the land of the dying, moving 
to the land of the living. Listen, I know we're already past time. I shouldn't draw your attention to that, but listen, I've got to say this. Don't take this as me correcting you, okay? I'm just trying to help you. I'm one beggar trying to tell another beggar how to find bread. I understand we're all different personalities. I understand we've been in different church settings or no church setting. But listen, if you come into this place and we have a worship time like that where the Holy Spirit's moving and He brings a word of the Lord to us and it has no effect. Or maybe just a little fuzzy do that. If it's not grabbing a hold of your spirit and twerking your spirit until something comes out, something either positive or negative, but you, you deal with it, then listen, you've got to get on your knees for the Lord. If it's not here at home somewhere. I, I'm fearful for you. If you're coming into, in, into times like that where the Holy, the Holy Spirit is moving, if it's not doing something to you that's causing change in your life, I'm fearful for your eternal dwelling. That sounds pretty strong, Pastor CJ. That sounds like you just slapped me in the face. No, I'm telling you. I pull back from saying it many times. But there's something wrong with us when the Holy Spirit is really moving and it's having no effect. Nothing permanently wrong that can't be fixed because you're not the period of your own sentence. Jesus wants to be the period at the end of your sentence. Listen, this isn't about show. I don't care if we're packing this place out because we got people jumping and screaming and running around. It's not about that. It's about lives being changed. If you feel like you're stuck in a rut, like the Word of God that came to us today, you're stuck. It's like a millstone around your neck. You can't seem to pull out of where you're at. You look at other people and their walk with God and you just immediately separate it as that's them and that's me. It's not about comparing yourself to somebody else, but I'm just seeing, hey, they seem to walk in the Spirit and I seem to just have a normal mundane life. Well, maybe you feel like you're always at your end. In the last, very last moments of Jesus' life, he started singing because his end was coming here on earth. He sang a hymn and then went out to battle. You can't be lost if you know where you're going. Do you know him as your Alpha and Omega? I don't know what your circumstance is, but I know this. For the child of God, there is a lot of circumstance, whether it be cancer or a house fire or whatever it is, there's a lot that, it, that can happen, but let me tell you what it cannot do to you. It cannot cripple love. It cannot shatter hope. It cannot corrode faith. It can't eat away at peace. It can't destroy confidence. It can't kill friendships. It can't shut out the memories. It can't silence the courage. It can't invade the soul. It can't reduce eternal life. It can't quench the spirit or lessen the power of the resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life. Period. He that believeth in him, though they are dead, yet they shall live. The Alpha and the Omega. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you on this Father's Day 2017. That God, that you are speaking to our hearts. That God, your spirit is moving among us. And Lord, I am a, I am a failed attempt to, to be so many things. I am a failed attempt to finish many things. That God, I have ended many things with no finish. But God, you are the period at the end of my sins. And this morning, as you fired me up on the way here, that God, it doesn't matter how people may view me. It, may no ma it makes no matter, God, how the world may view me. That God, you are the potter, not them. I am the clay. That God, right now, as, as moldable clay, that everyone sits in the seat, if they allow themselves to be softened by your Holy Spirit and turned into that moldable clay, that God, that even that shell of that pot 
that thorn, that hard shell, the potter knows how to break that away and knows what to do with the moldable clay. Jesus, we would never see ourselves as an end. But you are the omega. You are the end. You are our beginning. You are end. No matter what kind of beginning we had in a family, Lord, whether it be through, through horrible circumstances as a child, Lord, as a teen, maybe our parents did horrible things to us, maybe they just were non-existent, God, whatever it was that we went through, God, you are the finisher of our faith. And once we have believed in you, God, there is nothing that has been created or ever will be created or will ever exist that can separate us from your love. as every head's bowed and I close if you're here this morning and maybe this has grabbed a hold of you maybe you've made a, made a commitment to follow Christ but you've lost the passion you've lost your mold, mold uh, your moldability you just feel like this hard shell that you're just done maybe you've never made a decision to follow Christ maybe you've come to church just going through the motions and you you need to make a real heartfelt commitment to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior. Either one of those that are you, if it's a you, I just want you to raise your hand shortly so I can pray for you. Alright, those committed, those who are Christ followers, you committed to follow Him, the challenge is before you. Will you let Him be the author and finisher of your faith? Will you walk daily with the end that he has planned for you in mind? Not yours, but his. Will you let him be your omega? I just want to take a few moments for you to just settle in your heart when the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Whatever that change, whatever that is, that you let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart right now. Just take a few moments.
Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful time of letting your spirit, Lord, change us, mold us. I pray that we won't stop here, God. The precious times are at our home and our in our prayer closet, God, where you continue to press this in, Lord, and let it continue to mold us and change us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.